Welcome to Sister Scriptorians, where we are devoted to learning, likening, and lifting others one principle at a time. Episode 140, Be It According to the Will of the Lord. In our prayers we offer, how often do we utter, according to the will of the Lord? We make a suggestion of what we believe the right course of action to take is, or the right blessing that we or others are in need of. But then we open the door of our faith, right? The door marked, God knows better than me, and we open ourselves up to Him working His good in our lives. But what about those prayers when we feel desperate or threatened or we believe that there's no other good option than the request that we're making of God? Do we get a little more demanding or more insistent that the action that we're proposing, our particular idea of action, do we insist that that happen? In moments where we feel helpless and, you know, even hopeless. To say, be it according to the will of the Lord, is probably the most difficult words to not only utter, but then stand by. After Zizram had been exposed for his subtle plan to cause the people to revile against Alma and Amulek, after Alma spoke of the need for redemption and the truth of the resurrection, after Alma had testified of the power of the Melchizedek priesthood and its precepts, that if obeyed could literally change the course of the people of Ammonihah and spare them from utter destruction, the people were outraged. So to quickly summarize, some people did believe and they repented and they went and searched the scriptures, but the more part of the people did not. They were offended and they actively testified against Alma and Amulek, accusing them of speaking against their laws and against their judicial system. And they bound the men with cords and they brought them before their chief judge. At this point, Zizram attempted to testify on behalf of Alma and Amulek. He was admitting his errors and his deceit. But the people who were once willingly reacting to his stirrings, they now accused him of being possessed by the devil. And they spit upon him and they cast him out of their city, along with all of those who did believe, except the believing women and children. What they did with them was horrendous and satanic. They gathered these women and children along with all the scriptures that they could find, and they cast all of them into a blazing fire, making Alma and Amulek watch this genocide of these believers who had been left vulnerable because their men had been chased away. Horrified. Amulek says to Alma, can't we do anything? Can't we stretch forth our hands and exercise the power of God, which is in us, so that we can save them? Alma had literally just testified of the word of God, what it was capable of doing. 
It had saved the people of Salem. Why can't it save these women and children right now? I think it must have taken great control in this moment of chaos and horror to be able to discern in that moment between your wants and what you think is morally right and the will of God. Alma could do it. I, I'm not sure I'm there yet, especially under these circumstances. Alma responded to Amulek that the Spirit constraineth him not to intervene. Alma testified that these souls were being received by the Lord in glory and that the Lord was allowing such evil to take place so that the judgments that he would exercise upon the people of the city would be absolutely just. The blood of the people will stand against them. At this time, Amulek also then feared that the people might burn him and Alma also. And it's here that I wonder, how personal is this scene, especially for Amulek? It isn't clear in scripture, so I just wonder, where are Amulek's women and kindred? The household that was blessed by Alma, where are they? Were they able to escape or are they in the fire? Were they gathered up? We know that Amulek will eventually go back to Alma's house in Zarahemla and Alma will administer unto him in his tribulations. But it's unclear if Amulek's family is with him there or is his tribulation because he lost them. We know in scripture that Amulek's father and kindred will reject him along with many of his friends. Are Amulek's immediate family with him or against him? We don't know. But as you can see at this point, Amulek has sacrificed everyone in his life except Jesus Christ. And Alma's words to his friend are simple. Be it according to the will of the Lord. If we die, we die. But we aren't going to die because our work isn't finished yet. Now, this isn't a promise of rainbows and parted clouds. The storm is still raging for these men of faith. These men, while in captivity, will suffer physical assault by the chief judge and will be mocked. Also, recognize the symbolism of the fire in which the believers were murdered by. The intent was to humiliate Alma and utterly shut him and his warnings down. His warnings that the people of Ammonihah would suffer fire and brimstone. The chief judge mocked Alma and God for making such threats. The chief judge mocked Alma, accusing him of not having the power to save those that were cast into the fire. And that despite Alma's testifying and their believing in him, God didn't save them either. Which is a lie, by the way. For a second, in a myopic way, it sure feels true though, doesn't it? But the truth, when all deception is removed, is that Alma did possess the power to save them, but was compelled by the Spirit not to, meaning he was not given authority. And the truth is that God did save his people. They were received into his glory. They died as martyrs and would receive a martyr's reward. Alma and Amulek 
suffered questioning by the lawyers, the judges, the priests, and the teachers, both the judicial system and the spiritual leaders of the order of Nehor attacked them. They asked Alma and Amulek why they wouldn't save themselves, claiming that if they did, then the leaders would believe that the Lord will destroy the people. Notice the sign-seeking here, the challenging of God's authority, but also the refusal to repent. The sign would only prove to them that the Lord would destroy the people. It wouldn't, however, humble them. Alma and Amulek were spit upon. The lawyers, judges, priests, and teachers gnashed their teeth upon them and withheld food, water, and their clothing, taking away their dignity as they were left naked. When the chief judge requested Alma and Amulek to deliver themselves, and then they would believe, Alma and Amulek finally then stood up and the power of God was finally upon them. After days of remaining silent to the taunting and the ridicule, Alma cried unto God, How long shall we suffer these great afflictions? Give us the strength according to our faith. And the Lord at this point showed forth his power. The band broke and the prison walls fell upon all those present except for Alma and Amulek, who walked away from the rubble. It's at at this point in these events that I asked myself as I was studying, would I be able to make such a request like Alma? Give me the strength according to my faith. That's a sobering question, isn't it? After all that Alma and Amulek had endured, where would my faith be if it happened to me? Finally, Alma and Amulek leave Ammonihah. And they go to Sidon where they find all those who had been cast out and stoned. Can you imagine having to tell these believers what had happened to their families? Of the great sacrifice that they made for truth. What do you think? Was it worth it? There in Sidon also was another believer. And he was upon his deathbed, sick with fever because of his transgressions. Zizram, upon hearing that Alma and Amulek were not dead because he truly thought that he had just sent them to their death. He rallied from his bed and he requested that they come to him. And you know what? They immediately did. Can you believe the the forgiveness that Alma and Amulek showed unto him? They didn't allow his transgressions and his past wickedness against them to define his worth, even though they had suffered at the hands of it or because of it. They're immediately coming, as the scriptures say, unto him shows us how fully they really truly believed in the atonement of Jesus Christ. They believed in what they testified of. Zizram asked for healing, and because he said that he did believe all the words that these men had testified of, that he did believe in the power of Christ unto salvation, Zizram was healed. I imagine at this moment of healing that it was as miraculous as all of those who witnessed the miracles of Jesus Christ, of healing the blind man or the man with palsy. This was a miracle of Zizram being healed, and Jesus' name was all over it. 
Zizram is then baptized, and so are others, and the church is established in Sidon. And the answer to my question, was it worth it? Despite the grief and the deep pain of losing their women and children, the faith in truth and also in Jesus Christ shined bright, and yes, for them, the gospel of Jesus Christ was worth it. Establishing the church at this time required Alma and the people to do a really great check as to the pride of their hearts. And in order to be delivered from Satan, who had had great hold upon their past thinking, their past words and works, the way that pride was eliminated, or in other words, the way their hearts were knit back together to God's and their fellow men's was, catch this, they assembled themselves together at sanctuaries to worship God before the altar. How important is it that we keep that freedom to do so? And they watched and they prayed continually. As for the people of Ammonihah, they remained hard-hearted and stiff-necked. Though Alma and Amulek delivered themselves, the people still did not repent. Despite the sign, they still didn't repent. And they blamed the power that they witnessed in Alma and Amulek as being of the devil. And next week, we'll wrap that loose end up quite utterly And today, I just ask you to take a few minutes with me and to just do a faith check. Where are you right now with that? What is your strength? And what is your weakness? What do you need help with? So that if and when the challenge comes, you can say, give me the strength according to my faith. I've heard and read this account of Alma and Amulek numerous times but never have I absorbed the gravity of the persecution that these men encountered. And it's frightening. I would be frightened and feel so small and perhaps inexperienced or inadequate, definitely outnumbered. Can I, when I am falsely being accused, can I say, be it according to the will of the Lord? How many times have I added to my suffering because I couldn't just let someone misunderstand me? I cherish liberty and the freedom that I have, the freedom to speak, the freedom to worship as I desire, the freedom to protect myself, to think, to assemble, If I was held in captivity or any of these freedoms were being taken away from me, could I still find God supporting me? If I was falsely imprisoned or my family was persecuted or harmed because of our beliefs, would my faith still have the strength to work a miracle on our behalf? Do I fear man more than God? Or is God's opinion of me enough? Or do I crumble when I'm insulted or mocked or rejected or teased because of my standards, my beliefs, my wearing of garments, my living within my means, or my desire to follow the prophet? Can I stand at all times and in all things and in all places, even when I might need to stand alone? Do I hide or shrink when people mock my testimony of the Book of Mormon? When the overwhelming wave of grief comes knocking me down, when I lose a child or a spouse or a parent or a friend, do I stop believing in a merciful God? Can I in this moment say, be it according to the will of the Lord? 
when I'm assaulted verbally or physically, when I'm spit upon, hated, and despised, can I still feel the love of God within me and know that my identity is that I am a child of God? The mockings and the accusations of those who believe that they're more enlightened than me, who challenge the doctrine of the church and the leaders that I believe God has selected to lead his church, and they stir up doubt in members around me. Do I stay believing? Is my faith unshaken? When doubters doubt my testimony, when disbelievers believe I'm a fool, Can I still feel and see truth and light and stay close to it? Or will my thoughts, words, and works accommodate the doubters and the disbelievers? And then will I absorb and then reflect their contention and their doubt? I don't like to be hungry. And I'm not accustomed to going without food for very long. So if food was scarce and water was withheld, and I didn't have the basics of human existence, would I still believe God's hand was working for my good? And at what level of persecution am I willing to undergo and still remain faithful to the covenants that I've made? What questions am I willing to put on the shelf because they can't be understood or God doesn't see fit at that moment to have that truth revealed? Or intervene. These are the trials of faith that both Alma and Amulek endured, and yet they never wavered from their testimony of Jesus Christ. Be it according to the will of the Lord was Alma's declaration, and throughout all of the chaos and pain, Alma remained in tune with the will of the Lord, even knowing during a difficult time when his hand needed to be stayed or when his words needed to be silenced. The people of Ammonihah attempted and did everything they could think of to challenge and dim Alma's testimony of the power of God working in his life, and they challenged Alma's belief in his relationship with God. But despite it all, Alma stayed in tune with the Lord's will until he knew the right moment to stand and call upon the strength of the Lord. And the Lord delivered. All of these trials that are found here in chapters 14 and 15 are trials that we experience here in mortality, just hopefully not all at once like Alma and Amulek did. But these are trials that we can, through coaching, work on together to help you remain clear and connected with your true identity as a child of God and to also tap into the power of your covenants, which is your privilege. I am passionate about working with women of faith who desire not to stumble from the pressures of life, but to thrive and to continue to stand and represent His name. And I can help you with that. Contact me at carrie at sisterscriptorians.com and let's figure it out together, what you truly desire, and let's make a plan on how to get there. Also, 
Coming up on October 20th, I'll be doing a webinar on the tender mercies of the Lord, and I invite you to join me. The easiest way to sign up for that is either through my emails. I send some out to you who have signed up to receive my emails. You can do this if you're interested by going to sisterscriptorians.com and becoming a Sister Scriptorian. Anyways, I send out an email with the, with the podcast attached for convenient listening. And then also, when an episode has a ponder prompt available, I attach that as well. And I've made a decision to just only attach those ponder prompts to my email instead of linking them up to my website. So in order to not miss out, sign up today and become a Sister Scriptorian. Also, in the next week or so, I'm going to be posting a link on my homepage of Sister Scriptorians. So you can go there also to register for the Tender Mercies webinar. Either way, I just can't wait to meet you.